Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Uh, just a few episodes ago, uh, it was great to have Andrew Jackson join us uh, and explain to us what photography meant to him. Uh, since then, I've been following Andrew's uh, blog posting and uh, he's been writing these reflective posts on photography and his relationship with it, which I really um, recommend. Anyway, uh, he said this the other day, and I, I thought it was particularly uh, relevant. What if we changed investors to photographers and promoters to gatekeepers? Gatekeepers pushing yet another pay-to-enter competition, pay-to-play portfolio review, or asking you to stump up £15,000 to have a book published that you'd be very lucky to make pennies back on all pushed at you like things which will get you up to a new level. Gatekeepers like snake oil sellers pushing all of those things to desperate investors. Cravings for success, whatever that is. Now, anybody who's read any of my books will know that I regularly use terms like snake oil sellers and so forth. And what Andrew's really talking about there is the idea of photography being a kind of a pyramid system a Ponzi scheme, if you like. Well, you know, over the last few episodes also, I've been talking about the importance of listening and the importance of so many institutions are starting to listen to uh, the photographic community. And I saw something else in the last week which um, made, <laughs> made me think that still they're not listening. Magnum in particular seemed to uh, keep getting it wrong. This time advertising a print sale collaboration with Vogue and the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People with an image of a woman's pierced belly button over a pair of extremely minimal denim shorts. The kind of image that may be seen advertising a club night in Ibiza or a compilation of banging club hits. I've looked at the other images they could have chosen and there are so many strong images there that would have been more appropriate to the cause. But once again, Magnum find themselves being called out for inappropriate use of images and perhaps understanding of the issues. Just to let you know, Magnum Photographers and Vogue will both be donating 50% of their proceeds from the square print sale to the National Association for the advancement of coloured people, uh, an organisation at the forefront of the movement to build political power for and ensure the well-being of communities of colour in the United States. What a shame it wasn't 100%, and what a shame that they've got it so wrong yet again. Talking of the commercialisation, the, the Ponzi scheme, the pyramid scheme, however you want to see it, of photography. I noticed in the last week that photo gambling is back in fashion. What's photo gambling I hear you say? Well, photo gambling is this. Give somebody some money and maybe your horse will come through and maybe it won't. But never forget that in gambling, the only person who ever wins is the bookie. Anyway, what am I talking about in particular? It's this. I saw this week that Creative Review magazine are asking photographers to enter work for their annual £30 per image plus VAT. 
Taylor Wessing is back and open as an online uh, competition this time this year. They're charging you £20 per image to enter the Taylor Wessing Award. As I just said, you'll never see a poor bookie and you'll never see a bookie who's on the bus. You might see the odd poor photographer and you might see the odd poor photographer waiting for public transport. One of the key themes that comes through every uh, once in a while, perhaps every few weeks of our What Does Photography Mean to Me? is that particular photographer describing how at a very early age, maybe 8, 9, 10, 14 at the oldest, um, somebody gave them a camera and just said, have some fun with that camera. And um, that's the beginning. That's the point at which these successful careers have, have taken, uh, taken shape. And so many cases, these photographers talk about that camera opening up a new world. So my suggestion this week, with cameras being so cheap, particularly uh, digital compact cameras, you can pick them up on eBay and, and similar kind of uh, web-based uh, purchasing opportunities, I suppose, Facebook Marketplace, if you dare use Facebook, and all of those kinds of places, you know where to get them. It's real easy to pick up a very cheap camera, maybe in a charity shop, and give it to a kid, maybe your own kid, maybe somebody else's kid but why not as we we hit the summer holidays and there's not a lot else open for kids to do why not give them a camera you don't know what that's uh, gonna do for that person but it could just be the beginning of an incredibly creative and fulfilling life this week we welcome to the podcast uh, to tell us what photography means to him michael yang uh, for the last 40 years, Michael has earned a living as a portrait photographer, capturing iconic figures such as Jimi Hendrix, Robin Williams and William Burroughs, among others. However, he's also been simultaneously infiltrating and documenting subcultures, from celebrity parties in Beverly Hills to the youth of Castro's Cuba, from city gangs to Old West rodeos, and from the punk rock scene of the late 1970s, to the teenage garage bands of the early 2000s. Yang was born in Marysville, California in 1951 and studied at CalArts in Los Angeles, receiving a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in 1973. While at CalArts, Yang photographed the student environment and in 2014 published the work in a book titled College. During his time at CalArts, he used fake press credentials to access events and parties at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, where he photographed a range of people from the unknown to famous musicians and politicians. In the late 1970s, he moved to San Francisco, where he received an MFA degree from the San Francisco Art Institute. Yang continued to pursue creative projects while earning a living as a commercial photographer in San Francisco, and was relatively unknown as an artist until 2002 when the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art acquired several of his photographs. His personal projects include the 1973 series The Yangs that documents the assimilation of his Asian-American family and uh, his 18, uh, sorry, 1983 series Summer Weather documenting auditioning weather reporters. 
In 2019, the McAvoy uh, Foundation for the Arts staged a retrospective exhibition of his work, and the same year, Atelier Editions published a retrospective monograph of his work titled, Who is Michael Yang? I'd like to talk about two of my favorite art forms, the movies and photography, and the differences uh, between the two and the similarities and how uh, films have affected my photography work. I've always had cinema envy. Most of us grow up loving the movies since our childhoods, whether we started with Disney or other children's shows. Uh, We're usually not thinking about going to a fine art photography show at age five. So that comes much later, usually uh, high school or for me, college. So let's look at what this art form called film has going for it. The choice of unlimited quality actors who have a team of script writers giving them the best dialogue, production value, location scouts, set design, makeup and wardrobe, Grammy award-winning musicians for the soundtrack, editing, basically all the categories at the Academy Awards. On top of that, you have a captive audience for one or two hours. There can be years of pre-production, And then after post, you usually have a sizable budget to roll the movie out in terms of marketing. Then we have photography, still photography. For me, a single image, classically an 11 by 14 print, give or take, matted in a frame on a white wall with a spotlight, if you're lucky. Studies have indicated, I've read, that people who actually pay to enter Average under 30 seconds viewing masterpieces hanging in museums. So therein lies the challenge as a photographer to make something worthy of someone's time to view an image or to make it worth their while to make a trip to see an exhibition or buy a book. This is what's involved for me when taking a photograph and I need to say this is just my take on it I fully respect and appreciate all kinds of photography, whether it be minimal, conceptual, or or anything else. I just tend to play the game that Winogrand described as like a juggler keeping as many balls in the air as possible. And on a good day, I may just be able to juggle only two or three. So first, let's start with the frame. Usually a rectangle, four sides, and you are responsible for everything in it. From the top of the frame to the bottom, from the left side to the right. Within that, and to simplify, you have a foreground, middle, and background, and you have to see it all at once and make it all work together. Often, the foreground subject is too close and you may need to back off or the picture will be an obvious and easy read, unlike a good poem, which you can go back to over and over and see something new because it has layers or you bring something to it later as you get older. So you can do this with photography too by seeing something that is too obvious or visually too loud and perhaps obscuring it or diminishing it in size within the frame so it might be seen later but not the first time around. As much as I like Arbus, 
I don't find myself going back to the work as much as I do with, say, Walker Evans or Eggleston. Again, that's just me, and Arbus remains one of the most powerful image makers ever. Then there is the actual subject and what is happening within the frame. Is there a story or a narrative that is shaping up? Is there a chance for mystery or to raise some questions? And if all this isn't enough, is there a possibility that humor might be involved? All this has to happen like that. Now, rather than going into a totally separate subject, for anyone interested, I might suggest searching what some Asian cultures call no mind. It's like a state of awareness where your mind is not fixed or occupied by thought or emotion, and thus open to seeing everything with greater clarity. Thank you, Michael, for your contribution this week. Uh, a few key words there that have cropped up in uh, previous contributions. Poetry. Uh, a, a few times photographers have used that, that idea of the poetic nature of photography. And I think that's always interesting. Of course, narrative comes up again there. Um, but then we're used to that, aren't we? Hopefully by now, we're at that point that we understand. I think we're over 100 uh, podcasts now. And uh, I, I would have thought at least 90% of them, if not more, uh, talk about the narrative importance of photography. Also, I think that cinematic nature of photography and that relationship that photography has with cinema and the moving image so very very important now roughly uh, 10 years ago now with the those of you who remember uh, i'm going to mention a camera now not something that often happens so uh, this is probably quite an important part of of the podcast um the canon 5d mark ii um you all know it i'm sure but when it came out and suddenly there was this button that allowed uh, filmmakers to uh, use a DSLR camera with its amazing ranges of lenses uh, in filmmaking. They embraced it. The photographers who suddenly had an opportunity to create film with the camera that they were using for stills, a lot of them were scared of it. And here we are 10 years later. I was talking to, um, kind of talking, but I was online chatting through Twitter with uh, Jim Stevenson, a really great architectural photographer. And I remember talking to Jim roughly 10 years ago about um, convergence, as we called it then, and that the convergence was the convergence of the still and the moving image, not only creatively, but also into the same box that we were going to use. And I remember talking then and, and setting up a couple of events actually at the British um, Film Institute on the South Bank uh, around convergence and that importance. Tim Hetherington was part of that and so were a few other people who then went on to uh, win Academy Awards. But anyway, or certainly be uh, nominated. But um, what came out of that uh, convergence, those conversations I was having with Jim and why I mentioned that, is this week... Um, he tweeted that his work is now 50% filmmaking and 50% stills. And I remember saying that to him 10 years ago, that this was going to be the future. Of course, to a great extent, I was wrong. 
perhaps to a greater extent, maybe I was right. I know Ed Cashy, another contributor to the podcast back in the very early days, spends an awful lot of his time now making films as well as stills. So the the point I'm getting to here, I suppose, really, is it was really great to hear Michael uh, use that metaphor of film and photography and bring those two things together there in his contribution. But to me, and I've written about this on a number of occasions, I'm always still really shocked that photographers have this button on the camera that they either never use or very, very rarely use and have never really explored where it could take them. I remember again, I'm I'm remembering this week, but uh, the New York-based portrait photographer Jake Chesson If you're not aware of Jake, I'm sure I've mentioned him before. I think he really is one of the great photographers. Anyway, check out Jake Chesum, C-H-E-S-S-U-M. And I remember Jake, uh, years ago, actually, um, we were talking about moving image, and um, I think it was J. Crew, the the clothing brand, had said to him, well, you know, Jake, have you you ever made moving image? Have you ever made film before? And he went, yeah, of course I have. Of course he hadn't. But he soon uh, found out how to do it and got some good people around him to help him. But uh, what his take on it was, well, well, why wouldn't I say yes? One, because I have an opportunity to get another client, but also I have an opportunity to express myself creatively and to kind of evolve and develop my work. So I'm not saying that moving image or filmmaking is for everybody, but surely it's something that should be tried. Anyway, that's something I haven't spoken about for a long time. And a long time ago, I used to speak about an awful lot. Um, That brings us to the end of this episode uh, of the podcast. This week, it's really hot in the shed. Uh, Last week, it was really dark and cloudy outside. So maybe those clouds are are disappearing. I hope you've had a good week. um, And I hope that you're feeling creative and that you're putting some good stuff together. I know a lot of people seem to be heading to the beach over the summer. Always a time when we see lots of uh, photographs cropping up on Instagram. Anyway, uh, that's it, as I say, for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I always enjoy bringing you these photographers and these podcasts. I hope you enjoy listening to them. If you do and you listen on iTunes or any other platform that allows you to put a review, it would be great for us if you could just uh, put a comment, hopefully positive, obviously. Or alternatively, just email us or get back to us through Twitter at UNAphoto. So have a good week and always, and as always, I should say, take care.